All right, well, let's go ahead and get started. <clears throat> so, thank you for coming. Uh, let's open up in prayer. So. God, we thank you that your word is truth, and we thank you that we get to learn from it, that you have provided it to us. And God, we know that you love those who are Mormons, even though you hate Mormonism for its falsehoods. And so we pray that you would equip us uh, during this class to reach out to them as we encounter them in our lives, and that you would uh, give us favor with them to be able to reach out to them and pull them from that deception. Help me to be clear and uh, articulate and accurate tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, yeah, like I said, thank you guys for coming. Uh, We're going to be looking at Mormons today. Um, They're going through a little bit of a, uh, you know, branding, rebranding, I guess, where they if you call them a Mormon, they'll correct you and say, no, I'm a Latter-day Saint. Um, that's just, just what they're doing. Uh, we'll talk a little more a little bit about that in a little bit. Uh, although they gave me a card when I met with them one time that says I'm a Mormon on it. So, I don't know, seems a little contradictory. Uh, but I brought a Book of Mormon for anybody who wants to look at it. Okay, if you want to look at it, it's not going to hurt you. Um, even if you read it, it won't hurt you. Uh, but if you believe it, it will hurt you. So, okay, so you can read it, don't believe it. So, uh, also, continuing with a good resource, 10 most uh, important things you can say to a Mormon. Really good resource, it's really quick, you can read it in like one sitting uh, and take it in. Again, by uh, Ron Rhodes, so great resource there if you're interested. Take a look at that or get one yourself. Um, this is also a track that I got from a Mormon when I was living in Phoenix. It's called the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's what they believe. So this is just their basically their beliefs about the church in one track and why you why they think you should become a Mormon. So full of lies, but we'll we'll, uh, we'll look at that today. All right. So the thing about Mormonism uh, that people don't realize up front is that it's actually a feelings based religion, not a fact based religion. Okay. Uh, if you spend time talking to them, you're really going to learn that. It's going to come through. Once you notice it, it's really obvious. Uh, has anybody ever actually even had Mormons come to your door or stop you in the park or anything? Okay, what, what are some arguments that they made? Do you remember? <clears throat> Just shout them out. You don't need to raise your hand if anybody remembers. So for me... Yeah. Neighbors, a, a young couple, they were, you know, wonderful neighbors, friendly yeah. and nice, and um, I don't know if I can name off the top of my head anything in particular, but they, they were very nice, you know. Mormons will tend to be very nice people, um, and that, we'll, we'll talk about that as we go as well, uh, has to do with what their end game is, what their goal is, their motivation is for the afterlife. Pastor Lang? On the other side, I had a chance to meet with someone who was just that. Yeah. And it was said, and I understand it, when a person leaves Mormonism, it's very hard for them to really put their faith somewhere else because it's self so deceived. Correct, I mean, yeah. You, you have, with this person, one day a month, 
drove cars uh, to different places, and this all the money all went into the Mormon church. There's the giving of the tithe that you have to do. You have to do this and this and this. And uh, it, was, it was it was hard for her to, to you know, she had been in Mormonism for how long? <coughs> and now, you know, how do I know really this is the truth? And so it was a struggle. It wasn't totally successful. It's right. So, yeah, the, the amount of Mormons who become atheists or non-religious compared to Christians when they stop being Mormons is, is really imbalanced. So the vast majority of them just leave faith altogether. The two-year missionary, yeah. So that's their primary tool that they use uh, for catechizing their, their uh, people is that mission. Uh, and we're going to talk more about how to address a Mormon to avoid that because... Uh, it doesn't do them any good to get them out of Mormonism if they don't move into Christianity. You've just moved them from one bad faith into another, you know. So uh, we got you want to get them all the way across the finish line again. Because uh, it's, it, yeah, it can be tricky with that because of just the lies and the manipulation that goes on. It's, it's, it's on a whole new level from what we talked about with the Jehovah's Witnesses from last time. So. That is definitely part of it. Yes, the burning in the bosom. Uh, that's it's basically. Do you? They they're going to ask you things. That's what I'm getting to. Is uh, they're going to say, take this Book of Mormon and pray that God would that you would feel that it's true, and then they'll say, read and then read it. All right, that's what they'll they they literally told me to do that multiple times. That's what I was instructed to do uh, when I got this. Don't do that. Okay. Um, feel free to read it, like I said, but don't, you don't need to pray that God would make it feel like it's true to you, okay? Um, it's, not, it's not necessary. Uh, they also make, made arguments with me like, hey, we have one guy at the top that we call the prophet, and he speaks directly from God. Like, at your church, do you have somebody who can speak directly from God into your life about what to do? Well, we have that, so doesn't, wouldn't that feel nice? Therefore, I think you should become and be a Mormon because we have direct access to God and your church doesn't. So that's just, it's a feelings-based argument as well. So it's, it's, not, uh, it's not rooted in, in facts like Christianity. So they, the Apostle Paul uh, and Peter, they never asked you to feel like it's true, right? They made arguments based on like fulfilled prophecies, uh, based on historical facts. There are witnesses that they said that you can go talk to, people who saw certain things. Like, go talk to them, investigate it out. Right? So it's, it's a fact-based faith. Christianity is, but Mormonism doesn't do that. Uh, and there's a, the biggest reason why is because they can't. There's no archaeological evidence. There's no, uh, there's no witnesses to support the claims Joseph Smith made, uh, etc., uh, but we'll, again, we'll address more of that next week. Uh, so Mormonism is very deceptive. Uh, we're, Jehovah's Witnesses, it's deceptive in a different way, uh, where they're going to, they're clearly, like, they, they know what they believe. They are, they are taught their church's positions on the Trinity and on Jesus, etc. They're taught their history from all the way from birth, all the way up through adulthood. Uh, Mormons don't do that. They hide their core beliefs uh, from their members, 
until you're in far enough that there's a cost to leaving. And then they slowly start to unpack it to you, uh, to you and, uh, and just feed you things based on feelings and not based on reality. Uh, just as an example, if you go to their website, the LDS website, you're not going to find anything about what they believe on it. It's all going to be like, how the, Mor- how the Book of Mormon made me feel, right? Uh, how my faith in Christ is just helping me, you know, so it's all subjective. Uh, but they even have, let me find it here. Oh, right here. It said, you click on a thing that says their core beliefs. What are six core beliefs? Uh, and then you click on it, like, oh, what do they believe? It just says, God loves you. Jesus is our savior. Life has a purpose. The scriptures guide us, uh, becoming Christ-like, and then they are, that, that they are Jesus Christ church. Okay, none of that is any different than what we can say here, really. So, but and it, none of it has anything to do with their core beliefs at all. That's all just on the surface. That's all surface level stuff. <clears throat> um, so, and they, they intentionally blur the lines. Again, that's a big difference with Jehovah's Witnesses, where if you say we believe in the Trinity, they're going to say, okay, they know what you mean by Trinity, and they know what they mean by Trinity, and they're going to explain it to you, okay? They go, they'll, they, because they know. Or Mormons, they, they just will say, yeah, we believe in the Trinity, but it does not mean the same thing that we believe. So they load, they take the same package, load a different meaning into it, and then, and then try to sell it to you in that, in that way. So just as an analogy, I went to Target one time because uh, I needed body wash, bought some from the store, went home, went to use it in the shower, and it was full of water, right? There was no soap in it. So someone had stolen the soap out of it and filled it with water and returned it to the store, Sad, yeah, it's a really sad time, so didn't get a good, good shower in. Uh, that's Mormonism right there in a nutshell. They take the words, they take the good stuff out of it, and they just fill it with junk. And then they try to sell it to you, right? And then when you go home, all you have is a bottle of water, not a bottle of soap. So there you go. Uh, Mormonism as well has made itself felt on society. Jehovah's Witnesses do the opposite. They have completely withdrawn society. Uh, your only impact that you're going to feel is the fact that they're not causing trouble because they just are on their own. Uh, Mormons have caused a lot of trouble. They're very involved in business, very involved in politics. Uh, and as we we're going to find out in their history, they've actually been involved like seven or eight wars with the United States and the Indians. Um, they've had rebellions and, yeah, very involved in politics or just in society in general. Cool. So, famous Mormons. <clears throat> These are all names that you've probably heard, at least most of them. Mitt Romney, I'm sure everybody knows who he is. Former presidential candidate, current senator from Utah. Uh, don't ask my opinion about him, but uh, yeah, he's a Mormon. Uh, Orrin Hatch, he's a former senator from Utah, just retired. He's very elderly right now. Mike Lee's the current senator from Utah. Uh, like I said, they're very involved in politics. Bryce Harper, he is an all-star. Uh, I think he's with the Nationals, or at least he was for a long time. Like, he's with the, with the Philly. That's right, that's right. He got, yeah, he's with them now. But great ball player, like really good guy, uh, at least good at, at baseball. Uh, Mormon. Orson Scott Card, he's a famous author. In fact, I read uh, some of his books. I didn't know he was a Mormon uh, just last year. 
And as I was reading them, it's just about the story of somebody that like spirits come from another, from the spirit world, and they go through a veil of forgetfulness, and then they have to live out a purpose on earth. Uh, and I was like, this sounds like Mormonism. I looked it up, and sure enough, he's a Mormon. So he just embedded his religion into his books. Lindsay Sterling, really good violinist, very active. She dances around the stage while playing. Um, famous from uh, America's Got Talent and YouTube. Steve Young, he's actually the great, 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 great grandson of uh, Brigham Young, who was the second president of uh, Mormonism. He's an NFL Hall of Fame quarterback. And then, of course, Glenn Beck, uh, somebody that I'm sure that we all know uh, from the Blaze Media. A little bit about Glenn Beck. So I don't know how much of you guys listen to him, all right? So I'm not making a comment about his political views in general, but just how his Mormonism impacts the things that he says. I used to listen to him a lot. Uh, not anymore, but so he says things like he's always trying to be like Jesus, okay? Because he's trying to sound like a Christian. He's loading bad, uh, well, he's, he's loaded bad meaning into that phrase. So he, when he says be like Jesus, it doesn't mean what me and you think, okay? It means he's trying to become good enough to become a God. And we're going to learn about that here in a little bit, but that is literally what he's communicating to you. That's what he's really communicating to you, not what, he, what you think he is. Uh, when he says things like, we need to do all we can do and then entrust the rest to God, he's quoting from the Book of Mormon, 2 Nephi 25-23, for we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all that we can do. All right? Uh, that's a far cry different from what the Bible says, which is for, it's for grace that you've been saved through faith, and it's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. <clears throat> Big, big difference. Uh, he also has this uh, notion that people are inherently good. Mormons do not believe in original sin. They think that we're born and you can be good. All right? That comes through a lot uh, if you listen to him. So, uh, you know, actually, I had a dream back when I was in college because I was listening to, like, I watched his show. I think he was on Fox at the time. Uh, and I had a dream where I was listening to Glenn Beck and I became a Mormon. Okay. And so I took that as a warning that I should stop listening to him. I heeded it. Went back, listened to him like six or seven years later, and I was like, wow, it's really obvious. <laughs> once, once you know. So, yeah. History of Mormonism. Started with a guy named Joseph Smith. Uh, he grew up during the Second Great Awakening, uh, which, I mean, this is my opinion, but it was a shadow of the greatness of the First Great Awakening. Uh, the Second Great Awakening had more of an emphasis on salvation by institutions, like, for example, through uh, the government banning pro like alcohol. So prohibition and that whole movement, the temperance movement, that was out of the Second Great Awakening. It wasn't, you need to accept Jesus to be saved. It was, you need to uh, stop drinking, and that's a sign of your good, your good behavior, and that's how you get saved. Uh, so that was the emphasis. New denominations came out of this movement, such as Methodism. Uh, new theological systems, such as Dispensationalism and Adventism, came about during this time. And this is going to be early 1800s. So, uh, pretty early on in uh, American history. First Great Awakening took place in the late 1600s, early 1700s. Let end up leading to the founding of America. And this was just after our founding. 
Anyway, so in 1820, he says that he was praying for wisdom based on James 1.5, which says, any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously, because he didn't know which denomination to join. Uh, so this was in Western New York. This was like the epicenter of the Second Great Awakening. And he was very confused because of all the religious fervor that was going on. Uh, he's 14 at the time. Uh, and then he says that when he prayed this in his bedroom at night, that an angel named Moroni visited him and said that all the denominations were corrupt and that he was called to restore Christ's church. All right, and this is what he says. Now, I firmly believe that he just made this up entirely. Uh, it's possible an angel did visit him, but you know we'll, we'll talk about it next week. But Paul says, even if an angel comes and preaches to you a different gospel, you're not to believe it, believe it at all. So... But personally, I think he just made it up entirely, about a whole cloth. Uh, this is a quote from Joseph Smith. The personage who addressed me said that all their creeds were an abomination in his sight. So all the denominations were false, according to him. So within 1823, this is what he says happened in 1823 anyways, uh, that that same angel Moroni instructed him to go, on to go up to a hill near his house where he would find a book written on golden plates. So he went out there, at least he says he did, and uh, dug up these plates of gold. And along with it were two stones that he could see through. And then he took that back home, and then he used these stones by looking through them to translate what he says uh, was the Book of Mormon. All right, he says that uh, it was in Reformed Egyptian was the language, which is a language that doesn't exist. No one has ever found it. There's no reference to it anywhere in history. Why would it be in the Americas? There's no, there's no explanation. It's, it's, it's something that's just completely made up. Uh, but there it is. Uh, he, oh, this book supposedly contains the Judeo-Christian history of the Native Americans. So it's that Jesus came and visited the Native Americans uh, after his death and resurrection in Jerusalem established another church here. We're going to talk more detail about it towards the end of the class. Uh, 1830 was when he published this translation uh, as the Book of Mormon, and he established a new church, so he officially incorporated a church that same year called the Church of Latter-day Saints. He later renamed it the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, and then also a thing of note that Smith became a polygamist throughout this, uh, having somewhere between 27 to 49 wives over the course of his life. So not all of those were, were women that he married like on this side of eternity because Mormons also believe in eternal marriage. So you, uh, you, maybe you might not have marital relations here on this earth, but now you're going to be married in the afterlife. So some of those were eternal sealed marriage, marriages, not ones on earth. But he did definitely have quite a few wives here, and these were not healthy relationships. I mean, not that you can have them healthy in that way, but I mean like, like abuse, uh, keeping them locked up, manipulating them, it's psychological. Like it was, he really did abuse these women. So, uh, and he, also, he did this all against the objections of his first wife as well. So, uh, I mean, obviously, right? That's not what she signed up for when uh, they got married. So, <clears throat> 
Um, so around 1830, this is just after he published the book. So he, during this, that, the decade of the 1820s, he was ga- gaining a following there in New York. Uh, he then he started calling himself a prophet. So he'd say, I am Joseph Smith, prophet of God. You know, that's, that's what you got to call him, the prophet. Uh, he, re- he took his, his following because he had a prophecy that in Independence or Zion, Missouri, that there's going to be a Mormon temple is going to be built on a specific piece of property called the Temple Lot, and uh, that uh, Christ was going to return at that exact location. So that was the prophecy that he made. It's in their scripture, Doctrine and Covenants. They consider this book scripture. Uh, again, we're going to talk about it towards the end of the class, that this prophecy was made. That temple was never built. So it's a false prophecy. Um, but he had so many people that were following him by this point in time as he trekked through Ohio and Kentucky down to Missouri uh, that when he, when he got there, there was like tens of thousands of people that were part of this church and they all voted with him like in a block. So he, could, he had the power. Whoever he endorsed for office, all those people would vote and he could sway the entire state election at that time. Like, he could literally single-handedly decide who was going to be governor, who's going to be senator, etc. cetera. Uh, and because of the politics at the time, Missouri was an important state for determining presidents uh, who would win when it came down to it between North and South. He could determine who was the president of the United States at that point in time. So it actually became such a big issue that how each party felt about the Mormons was in their official platform, and it was something they campaigned on at the time. So, like I said, they've made themselves felt uh, in in society. Uh, He actually formed his own militia at the time. It was like over 10,000 men strong. And keep in mind, at this point in time, there's no standing army. It's not like what we have today. Like, whenever, like, the United States got involved in a war at that time, they went to the states, the states raised militia, and then they put them under... General and send him out. So it wasn't. Uh, there's. He's got an active militia right there, terrorizing the populace of Missouri, and it was a problem. Uh, so eventually, uh, this all came to a head. In 1838, there was the Mormon War, where the governor of Missouri finally had enough. He raised his own militia for the state, and they had a war. And uh, and uh, Joseph Smith lost that war, and he got kicked out of the state. And he actually, Mormons were banned from the state of Missouri until like 1979 or something like that, where it, it was literally like, it was an execution order. So if you were caught being a Mormon in Missouri, you could be executed just under the law uh, because of this. So they got kicked out. They went to Illinois. The governor of Illinois accepted them for whatever reason. Similar controversies occurred. Uh, he eventually, there was a newspaper that said some bad things about him. Because obviously he's a polygamist, so they're saying that he's feeding, he's using religion to feed his carnal desires, etc., uh, which is true. Uh, but uh, so he ordered that militia to destroy that newspaper. So they went and burned the building down and attacked it. Uh, the governor of Illinois said that's not going to happen. So he raised his own militia. They had another little war. Uh, Smith lost again. He had to surrender himself, and uh, he was taken to jail. Well, that same night. An angry mob attacked that jail uh, and shot him as he jumped out a window. And then the mob went out and shot him a few more times for good measure while he was outside on the ground. His brother also died in that attack. Uh, And 
So that's how he died. He was only 38 years old, I believe, at the time. Uh, and it, it goes to show, right? So I don't have the verse in front of me, but uh, where one of the qualifications to be a leader of the church is you need to be thought well of by outsiders, right? That's something that's important. Uh, everywhere that Joseph Smith, from New York to Ohio to Kentucky to Missouri to Illinois, he was thought of very poorly by everybody, right? They all considered him to be a charlatan, uh, to be somebody of, that with unappeasable sexual appetite, which is why he had so many wives. He was not well-liked anywhere he went, ever. So it just speaks to his bad character. Uh, Mormons think that the man was just persecuted and that he was a good person because they don't really know this history. They're not taught it. So it's something that they're going to be upset about when you talk to them. They're going to think that you're just lying and persecuting them. So it's, you got to get them to look into it on their own. All right? So after uh, uh, Joseph Smith was killed, there was a, some period of uncertainty, and then Brigham Young who became the second president of the Mormon church. So now he's in the position of prophet speaking for God. He decided to move the church body out to Utah to uh, escape persecution, which, I mean, they were certainly facing some persecution, but it wasn't that because it was unjustified, right? So he was meddling in society, meddling in the government, meddling in people's uh, affairs. And so it was like, we're done with you. So he, uh, he left. And they left with so many people, and this is in the early 1850s. We, the United States had just won the Mexican-American War. We just got this territory from them. Uh, and so because he went out there with such a large body of people, the president at the time very unwisely made him the first governor of Utah. Okay, So Brigham Young became the first governor. Uh, well, he eventually led a rebellion against the federal government in the 1850s. It's known as the Utah War. He lost that war, was removed from power. So uh, Mormons, I don't think they won a single war that they were involved in. So not very good at fighting. Uh, but they, they fought with uh, the Native Americans on a number of occasions as well. And Brigham Young, actually, he had ordered a, a massacre. It's called the Meadow Creek Massacre, where he killed like 130 <laughs> Native Americans, men, women, and children, uh, just because he was a racist. He did not like Indians, and he did not like black people. So... Uh, he actually banned blacks from serving as priests. That was something that was not uh, rescinded until 1978. So if you were black, you could not be a priest in the Mormon church, uh, which, I mean, it's, it's a racist motivation, but a godsend for them, I guess, so that they weren't sucked into this false religion. Uh, he was instrumental in growing the Mormon faith, even more so than Joseph Smith, really. So Joseph Smith founded it, absolutely necessary, but Brigham Young is the one who really made it grow to what it is today. So they have a school named after him, Brigham Young University, known as BYU, uh, out there in Utah. Uh, Young was also a polygamist. He had 56 wives, at least, that we know about, and 57 children through those wives. So polygamy was not, uh, not outlawed, I guess you'd say, in the Mormon faith until 1890. So it was like three or four presidents uh, were polygamists until... That was uh, overturned. So what is it that they actually believe? So we'll start with their church. So they believe in a restored church. 
So they claimed that the church was a total apostasy soon, after, apostasy soon after the death of the last apostle and needed to be restored. This is sim- similar to the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, they use, use the exact same verses. So, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. So just <coughs> promising that people are going to come twisting things after the apostles. Uh, and then earlier in Acts, it says that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Uh, neither of these verses actually mean what they say they mean. Uh, we're going to talk about it next week, but that's what they're going to quote to you. Uh, a big thing that they say is that in order for a church to be valid, you have to have both the Aaronic and Melchizedekian priesthoods, which they say that Moroni, him and one of his friends who was with him at the time, uh, baptized each other, and they were given these by the angel, so that they are the restored priests, both of these priesthoods. Okay? Melchizedek, he's a really cool guy. We'll talk about him next week uh, in the Bible. Uh, it does not mean what they say it means. Okay? But it's really cool. I like, I like Melchizedek. Cool guy. <clears throat> so the Trinity. So this is, another, this is just where, like I was saying, that they, they load bad theology into words and then pretend that it means the same thing when they're talking to you. If you ask a Mormon right now, if there was one standing here and I said, do you believe in the Trinity? They're going to look me in the eye and say yes. And they're going to think that they're being truthful, uh, but they don't mean what we mean, right? It's three persons in one God, all right? And one in essence with God. Uh, they claim to be monotheists, all right? Because, well, uh, but, but what they mean is three gods. Back that back up. So they mean Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are separate beings, okay? Uh, they actually believe in more than three gods. They believe in billions of gods, because human beings can become gods. So uh, God the Father was a god at one point, and all the people that he was with, they became gods uh, People before that. So they don't really have a creation, like, like a definitive beginning. They kind of just believe in an infinite series of universes going back into time, whatever the amounts to. Uh, so there's no creation, capital C, that ever happened as far as they're concerned. They don't really know. Uh, they will tell you that they are monotheists, tell they're blue in the face, because they say they only worship one God, therefore they're monotheists. So you can't just ask them, like, do you believe in one God? They're going to say yes. No, it's, do you believe in the existence of more than one God? <laughs> then they're going to have to say yes to that question. Uh, so those three gods, like I said, are the preeminent above all others, the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Uh, they are united in their thoughts, desires, knowledge, power, and purpose to love God and sa- save all of God's children. So it's different uh, than what we're going to say the Holy Spirit does. So the Holy Spirit's main purpose really is to glorify Christ here on the earth through us, through, through God's church. Uh, they think that the Holy Spirit's main role uh, is to guide us. That's his purpose because God just loves us. So it's really, it's all about us. That's self-centeredness is really the center and the core of Mormonism. Uh, 
They say that these three gods who are preeminent in our universe operate in perfect unity and harmony and are thus said to be one. So they don't really believe in Trinity. They really believe in tritheism. So there we go. So each member is a different being. Uh, God the Father and Jesus visited Joseph Smith together as separate beings, each with a physical body. So this is uh, from Joseph Smith's Doctrine and Covenants. When the light, this is his testimony, what he says happened. When the light rested upon me, I saw two personages or personages whose brightness and glory defy all description standing above me in the air. One of them spake unto me, calling me by name and said, pointing to the other, this is my beloved son, hear him. The father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's. The son also, but the Holy Ghost has not a body of flesh and bones, but is a personage of spirit. Were it not so, the Holy Ghost could not dwell in us. So that's in their scripture. That's what they consider to be authoritative. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's unusual. So. Uh, so who do they believe God the Father is? So God the Father was once a mortal man, the same as you and me, standing in this room right now. He lived in his own, on his own earth, just like us, and he was so good, and he followed the gospel precepts so well that he eventually became a god himself and therefore was able to uh, have lots of spirit babies to populate this world with. So, <clears throat> uh, so yeah, they call this process exaltation. It's, it's part of what they call the plan of salvation that we're going to talk about later. So this is a quote uh, from Milton Hunter. He was one of the original like quorum of the 70. So you have the uh, prophet at the top, and then underneath that you have the new 12 apostles, and under them you have a group of 70 elders who are above the bishops, who then are over individual congregations with priests. So he is, was on the original quorum of 70, as they call it. Uh, he, says, uh, he said that he, being God, passed through a school of earth, earth life similar to that through which we are now passing. He became God, an exalted being, through obedience to the same eternal gospel truths that we are given opportunity today to obey. And with that, God has a physical body of flesh and bones. They say he's 10 feet tall. Uh, They have very specific descriptions of what he looks like. Uh, Adam, so this is the argument that they're going to make, is Adam was made in the image of God. That's what the book of Genesis says. Adam was a physical person, therefore God is physical. Okay, so that's their argument. Uh, Moses spoke to God face to face in Exodus 33. And then Jesus, being a physical being himself, said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Right? So you've seen Jesus. He's a physical person. Therefore, God is a physical person. All right, we're going to refute that next week. Uh, just more, more quotes. This is actually uh, from Joseph Smith himself. It says, God himself was once as we are now and is an exalted man and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. It is the first principle of the gospel to know for a certainty that the character of God, uh, to know the character of God, and to know that we may converse with him as one man converses with another, and that he was once a man like us. Yeah, that God himself, the Father of us all, dwelt on an earth the same as Jesus Christ himself did. So God is flesh and bone, uh, has a flesh and bone wife as well, with whom he has many children. So we're all, according to them, products of God having marital relations with a woman, right? And he creates all these spirit beings 
that get, then eventually get sent to the earth in physical bodies. So uh, that's something that Mormon women get to look forward to doing with their eternal husbands, is just having babies for the rest of eternity. So that's, that's what they look forward to. Uh, in the old, they say that in the Old Testament, he's referred to as Elohim. So every time you see where it says God in English, that's just the Hebrew word Elohim just mean, really means God. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah, so uh, we'll get to it too, but in order for you to achieve exaltation, you need to have gone into uh, an eternally sealed marriage in the temple, in a Mormon temple. Because in order for you to be exalted and do this, you need to have a wife who also is exalted. So actually being married is a requirement to become a god. But the kids are not exalted. The kids are just spirits that are born. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're going to get to it in more detail. We'll explain it. Uh, well, the, okay, they have the sacred underwear. Yeah, I didn't, we're not going to talk about that today because that's, I feel like that's more just mocking them and that wasn't the purpose of the class. But yeah, they have special underwear if they go through the endowment process in the temple. Uh, and what... We'll talk, that's the last slide that we're going to talk about, endowment, what that means. So we'll get there. But yes, yeah, some of them wear special underwear so, that they get from, at the temple. So what do they believe about Jesus? Well, he's just the firstborn spirit of God. So he's the first one that was ever born of God. That's all he is. So he's literally no different than me or you. Uh, in fact, they're going to say that he's the spirit brother of Lucifer. Uh, I think that they say Lucifer was the second one ever born. Uh, but it doesn't really matter. It's not that big of a distinction because we're all just spirit children. So there's no difference really between me, you, and Jesus, according to them. Uh, well, there is, only, there is one difference. The only difference is that when he came to the earth, he didn't go through the veil of forgetfulness. So he still knew that he was God, right? That, or that he was, was a spirit with God in heaven, right? So And then he became a God through what he did on earth. So... He's already a god, me and you, and those uh, other ones who have died are still working on it. Uh, they say that in the Old Testament that he is Yahweh. So every time you see the, the capital letters there, Lord, in your Bible, they say that that's referring to Jesus, not, not to God. So he got together with God the Father and formed what they call the plan of salvation, to help all of God's spirit children become gods because he loves us and he wants all of us to become gods just like how he is. So this was their plan. This is the plan that he had to go through, the plan that his God had to go through going back forever. This is just the cycle, according to them. So Jesus lived a perfect life as an example of righteousness and for us to follow. So he set the example for how to live a life that will end with exaltation to godhood. All right, so like I said earlier with Glenn Beck, when he says that he's always trying to be like Christ, Right? So he's not thinking I'm living a good and moral life because I want to give glory to God it's, uh, and because I don't, I don't want to sin because I love God. It's uh, because he set the example to become God. So I want to be like Jesus. I want to become a God. <clears throat> this is that uh, Orthodox Christology chart that I've showed you a few times now. Mormons, Mormon theology is so bad that it breaks this chart. All right? So... Uh, I guess you technically can call them Arians uh, because they don't believe Jesus was fully God. 
Uh, but they also don't believe he was fully human either. So he's kind of, a, they're kind of a Polinarianist over there on, this, on the right. Uh, but they don't even believe that God is fully God. So they don't even, they can't even get that. So there is no God Almighty anywhere in their theology. There's just exalted human beings. That's all it is. It's the greatest that you can be. Question, or in the back. You don't have uh, modalism up there? So that's next slide. Uh, yep, so we're going to talk about the second. Did you have something too? So if they don't have an account of how everything started? They don't have an account of how everything started, started. Yeah, they don't. They, they, they debate and they fight over it, but there's nothing official. So were you the one who sent that question in last week? Mm-hmm. All right, cool. That's why the next slide exists. Yeah, question? He's a God now. Correct. So he was a spirit being who came to the earth. Before uh, Adam? No, after Adam. So, How did Yahweh Well, that's questions that you can ask, ask your Mormon friend. <laughs> I, I, those are questions that I ask them. And uh, those are questions that got me on their blacklist. So, like, yeah. Or Mormon, Mormons down in Phoenix weren't allowed to talk to me anymore. So... You, gotta be, you can't push them too hard, okay? So otherwise, you, they won't talk to you anymore. Uh, so yeah, so you sent the question last week about why I didn't talk about uh, modalism and other questions. Because uh, it's largely because this chart is, is about Christological heresy, so it's bad, it's false beliefs about Jesus. There are also bad uh, beliefs or heresies about the Trinity, they're related to Christological issues, uh, such as Arianism at the bottom, uh, which touches on both Christological issues and Trinitarian issues. So Arianism says that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are created, but lesser and still powerful beings, because they both have achieved godhood. Uh, an example of this, or an analogy, would be the sun emits light and heat. So the sun is God. And then it emits or creates two different types of energy, light and heat. So it's like Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So that's, that's a, an example of a bad uh, Trinitarian belief. But there are other ones. Tritheism, which they also hold to. The Father, Son, and Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit are all three different beings. There's modalism, also called uh, Sabellianism. And God exists in three different modes. So a man can be a father, a husband, and an employee at different parts of the day. Uh, just depending upon who he's interacting with. So, but he's still the same person. Uh, that is also a false way to view the Trinity. Uh, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses don't hold to that. Uh, that's going to be more of a progressive uh, view on the Trinity, which we'll talk about in a few weeks as well. Uh, there's also a view called partialism, which is each member of the Trinity is only one-third of who God is. So the three of them together make one God. So one-third, one-third, and one-third equals one. Uh, it's like a three-leaf clover, so that's also uh, a bad, bad heresy. So the two, the two charts can relate, uh, but the focus just was on uh, bad Christology. So does that help answer your question? Good. Right. <clears throat> so what do they believe about the Holy Spirit? So. I guess we've already really talked about it, but he works with the God the Father and Jesus. That's pretty much it. So he's God, uh, a, a different kind of God. Where he comes from, they don't really have much to say about it. He's just there. 
Uh, he is spirit. He does not have a body. Uh, he enab- this enables him to live in us and help us to live righteously and receive the blessings of the gospel. And that's it. He teaches us the truth. Uh, this is from Doctrine and Covenants, again, which they can hold to be scripture. Yeah, behold, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy Ghost, which shall come upon you and which shall dwell in your heart. So it's, it's they just need some, some way to justify that the Spirit is out there in the scriptures. They don't have a very robust uh, view of the Spirit. The plan of salvation, this is where things get really wild with them. Uh, so they believe, and we've already said that humans, all of us were once spirit children of God in heaven with him, all of us. And that we all, while we all enjoy being with God there, we all, we wanted to become gods like him. We wanted to have bodies like him. So he came up with this plan with Jesus. So Jesus and God the Father got together, uh, and they, they came up with this plan in advance where he would, he had, Jesus would create the universe, physical universe, so that's what he had Jesus do, uh, and then God would get, send each one of us into the world uh, with bodies, but we pass through what's called the veil of forgetfulness as we come through, All right? The reason why you have to do this, according to them, uh, is so that you have complete free will. So if you knew what it was like beforehand to be with God, then you wouldn't be totally free to, to just fully commit yourself to righteousness. At least that's what they're going to say. So, and the only way to become a god is to desire to choose righteousness over evil without pre-influences, right? Your previous memories from your previous life as a spirit. That's it. So Jesus agreed in advance uh, to go and be a sacrifice uh, because Adam and Eve, when they were, who were the first two that were sent, uh, it was it was known that they were going to eat the fruit. Eating of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil was actually a good and noble thing in Mormonism, uh, even though it was a sin. It was a noble sin uh, because it enabled them, uh, it put them on the path where they could choose good and evil and therefore become a god. So this is literally going back to the original lie in the garden that you can become like God. That's literally what Mormonism is. It's just going all the way back to Genesis 3. Uh, so once you, uh, how to describe this? So yeah, you just need to be able to choose it. So you need free will. It's important. Uh, Jesus volunteered in advance. So basically the point of that is this, that original sin of eating the apple, uh, that prevented everybody from being able to be resurrected with physical bodies. So when everybody dies, they just go to the spirit world. Okay, if you are good, you go to paradise spirit world, and if you're bad, you go to spirit prison. Okay? It's not hell, it's just a prison, a spirit prison. Uh, and then your body just decays in the earth. Uh, what Jesus' death on the cross did was it allowed and unlocked the ability for everybody to be resurrected. Everybody. So that's, that's what Jesus had to plan out in advance. So that was how they're going to deal with the sin of Adam. So it only covers that sin, that's it. Uh, Lucifer, or the devil, he rebelled against this plan, according to them, because he wanted to be the one who was the savior, and because he wanted the glory and the honor, uh, and he also had a different idea. He did not want it to be done through free will. He wanted it done through compelled obedience. 
So he would go down there as the king of the earth with a physical body and tell everybody what to do, and we were enforce us to live righteous lives. That's what he wanted to do, according to them. Uh, God and Jesus disagreed that that was a good way, and so they cast him out of heaven along with one-third of God's spirit children who followed him. So, and they're not going to be ever allowed to have physical bodies uh, or stay on the earth. Or they, they, stay, they currently stay on the earth, just tempting people to sin is what they do because they're angry uh, that they're cut out of God's plan of salvation. Here's just uh, a chart explaining it. So you have your pre-mortal existence. You go through the veil of forgetfulness, are born on the earth. You live your earth life. You're either good or bad. Jesus died. Well, we'll get to that. So when you die, you become a, you, your spirit goes to the spirit world, and your body just goes to the grave and decays. Everybody's stuck in the spirit world uh, until the final judgment. So Jesus is going to return, and that's when everybody is judged, and they're going to be given basically three places that they get to go, according to the judgment uh, from God the Father. The, like I said, the uh, death of Jesus is what unlocked this ability. Uh, so if you're really good, you go to the celestial kingdom. If you're middle of the road, terrestrial kingdom. And if you were bad, you go to the telestial kingdom. Outer darkness is only for apostate Mormons and people who knew what Mormonism taught but rejected it. So congratulations, we're all going to the outer darkness when we die, <laughs> thanks to me. So <clears throat> you're welcome for that. Uh, so three kingdoms. Go ahead. So in those three, is one alone like God? Correct. The celestial kingdom, you get to live with God the Father and with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, all three. Uh, at that point in time, you can choose to get to go on to create your own planet or stay living with God the Father. So you get an option at that point. So good question. So the three kingdoms and hell. So the celestial kingdom, it's those who follow what they call the narrow way, who have faith in God. You have to be baptized in a Mormon temple. You have to do good works, uh, chastity, tithing, married in the temple, endowed in the temple, etc. This is why Mormons do all they can to appear really good, even though they're all fallen sinners, just like every single one of us in this room. They all sin every day, all the time, but they hide it because they're trying to be good enough to go to the celestial kingdom. And this is also why they big, build big, beautiful buildings. Uh, they're really just whitewashed tombs, is what Mormonism is as well. Uh, and this is why also they tell their members, give money and tell everybody about it, because they want Mormonism to look good and they want you to look good as well. Because when you look good, it makes Mormonism look good. So it's not given secret. It's give and shout it out to the world. Everybody should know. <clears throat> the terrestrial kingdom, it's those who follow the broad way. It's for good and honorable people that live good lives, but just didn't know about Mormonism, basically. They didn't know enough about it. So they go to the terrestrial kingdom. There you get visited by Jesus and the Holy Spirit only. You don't get to be with God the Father. At least not very often. He might come visit you, you know, once a millennium or something. So Earth 2.0, right there. Yeah, well, no, it's not going to be Earth 2.0. Sorry, no, no, no. So it's not a new Earth. Okay. This is a separate kingdom. There is no new Earth in Mormonism. Okay. Yeah, there is no new Earth. Good question. 
so then the telestial kingdom is those who follow the low way. That's basically all sinners. So the people who went apostate, dishonest liars, sorcerers, adulterers, whoremongers, etc. Oh, I have apostates on the wrong one. Apostates go in outer darkness. So, my bad. <clears throat> anymore. Brigham Young. So they're going to say they're going to say it's not adultery because of their legal marriages. Their their marriages permissible under their faith. So if you ask them about it, they probably a don't know is the most likely scenario. They have no idea that these guys have multiple wives. If they do know about it, uh, it's probably they're probably going to say God allowed that for a time, just like how He allowed Abraham to do it, etc. Uh, and by the way, allowing is, it's not the word that I would use for with Abraham or not, but uh, yeah, so it's, it's not adulterous because it's a marriage. It wasn't outside of marriage. That's, that's what they're going to say. So, uh, oh, where are we going here? So, yeah, hell, that's a really bad place. You can't get out of hell once you're there. Uh, you're just there forever. This is another example of it. So it's basically the same chart as before, just a little, little more, de- uh, more details added to it. So, uh, do you guys notice what's missing from judgment here? Well, Jesus, yeah, is not anywhere to be seen. So, but how does Jesus, like, or how are we saved in Christianity? Like by what we do. Or by what Jesus did. All right? it's, it's through the grace of God. On all their charts that I found, they don't have grace listed anywhere. It's all about your works. And not every, every level. Promotion is possible in the afterlife. So, except for from hell. Once you're there, you're stuck forever. But even the, the bottom most people can move up. Uh, if you continue to live good lives, if you repent and believe in God... Uh, the, the way that they think that he should be viewed. Uh, and then also, because you're required to have those ordinances, the baptism and the endowment, etc., people who are still alive on the earth can perform the ordinances on your behalf. So, uh, like, I, I heard a story about one time where uh, a guy, a Mormon, told his non-Mormon friend, hey, I'm going to the temple to be baptized today. And he's like, oh, congratulations, because he's just like, hey, you're going to be baptized. Like, that's cool. And he's like, oh, no, no, it's not a big deal. Like, I've done this like a hundred times, <laughs> you know, like because he was being baptized on behalf of people who are already dead. So they, they think that this is a good thing that they're doing. Uh, and it has caused a lot of controversy, especially with like Catholics and a bunch of, I mean, a lot of people don't like when grandma got baptized, you know, <laughs> when, when she's been dead for 20 years or, you know. It, it tends to ruffle feathers. Uh, Mormons keep really good genealogical records well. So if you uh, want to figure out who your relatives are, your Mormon friend probably can look it up for you. Because so, they've spent a lot of time researching this and they are constantly doing it. Uh, they'll do other services as well. These ordinances on your behalf if you've already died. Because that's the only way that you can be promoted once you're already dead. So... Uh, one, but it's not automatic. Like, you'll be informed, hey, you know, Richard was baptized on your behalf, 
So congratulations, you are now a baptized Mormon. Do you accept or reject this? You can say, no, nah, I'm not interested. I'm going to stay right here. Or you can accept it and then move up to the next level. So you can go all the way up to the top one in the afterlife. So it's not the end of the road for you unless you're in hell. Uh, three kingdoms in the Bible, this is where they get it from. Uh, they go to 1 Corinthians 15, where it says there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Sounds good, right? Should we all become Mormons? <laughs> we'll talk about it next week. Uh, but what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is like, it's, it gets butchered by cults all the time. It's like their favorite chapter to go and, and massacre. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. There you go. There's three kingdoms. This guy went to the third one. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. So that's what they're going to establish uh, that doctrine from. We'll talk about what that means next week. It doesn't mean celestial kingdom. Mormons in scripture, kind of speed up again. They believe in an open canon. So canon just is just the, the accepted books. So uh, books can be added in Mormonism at any point in time or removed, just based on what the, the prophet and the council, the apostles at the top believe should be in. Right now, they believe in the Bible. They always add the caveat so far as it is translated correctly. The Book of Mormon, Doctrine of Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. Book of Mormon, they believe it's the written Judeo-Christian history of the Native Americans. It was written by various prophets over the centuries from about uh, 600 BC to 400 AD, so about that thousand year period of time. It was compiled at the end by a man, by a prophet named Mormon, who abridged it, wrote it on, title, on, on thin plates of gold and titled it the Book of Mormon, named it after himself. Uh, and then he passed along to his son Moroni, who added a final book of his own before bearing up burying it in a hill in western New York, again, around 400 AD. Uh, the book was found by Joseph Smith in 1823, according to them, who translated using two stones, uh, Urim and Thummim, which he stole from the Bible on the temple garments for the priest. Overview of the Book of Mormon, just real quick. This is the whole book, if you sit there and read it. Uh, it's not that long of a book, but it's a quick read. Basically, it's three groups of people, the Jaredites, the Lehites, and the Mulekites. So the Jaredites are faithful to God at, at the Tower of Babel. So they got to keep the original language, and from there, they decided to leave, and they went to the Americas. So they went and founded their own civilization over in America. Uh, eventually, they fell into wickedness, destroyed themselves in a massive civil war. Uh, Ether was the final prophet who recorded these events. Uh, then Mulek, who was the son of Zedekiah, the king who was destroyed by Babylon. God led this son across the sea from the Mediterranean, across the Atlantic Ocean, and landed uh, in America. And then Lehi, this, these are just names that are made up, by the way. So Lehi is a prophet in Jerusalem around 600 BC. He was warned in a dream that the, that the city would be destroyed and that he needed to leave. So they went out onto the Arabian Peninsula from a land that they called Bountiful, traveled to the Americas, landed in a different area than Mulek. Lehi had two sons, Laman and Nephi. The Nephites are the main story of the book. 
That's the bulk of it is spent following them. Laman was wicked. Nephi was righteous. Lamanites continually were trying to destroy the Nephites in wars. The Nephites wavered back and forth between wickedness and righteousness. God eventually called a man named Mosiah to lead the righteous Nephites north, where they discovered the Mulekites. And they were happy to figure out, we are both from Jerusalem, all right? We're Israelites. Uh, and so they became one nation, so they joined. All right, then a man named Zenith later tried to recover the land that they abandoned to the Lamanites. Uh, and then they became wicked themselves while they're down there. So they sent people out to ask for help from their country that they just came from, got lost, found the land of the Jaredites instead, finding their history book, brought it back with them. King Mosiah of this new combined nation sent out a successful rescue mission, brought them back. At this point in time, Jesus, because it uh, had visited or he had uh, died and was resurrected in Jerusalem. So he then appeared in the Americas to these countries, taught them the gospel, established his church, did miracles, things like that. And they believe that the Book of Mormon prophesied these things. Uh, then after this, the, all the people there lived righteously for about 200 years because of what happened with Jesus. But eventually they became wicked again, were all destroyed in a massive war. Uh, and then basically everybody who was left became the Native Americans. And they were given darker skin to reflect this because of their wickedness. So uh, there's racism embedded right in the Book of Mormon there. Like I said, in it, like in uh, Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, also racist against black people, were pro-slavery. They, uh, Brigham Young supported the Confederacy in the Civil War. <clears throat> Uh, the Book of Mormon has a subtitle. It's another testament of Jesus Christ. They say that this book is a second witness. They think it complements the Bible, not contradicts it. So, for example, if you turn to Numbers 21, you're going to read a story about Moses lifting up a bronze serpent against the fiery serpents, and that those who look to it are healed. So the Book of Mormon has this exact same story in it, uh, but it has an extra little bit of detail where it says the laborer, which, which they had to perform was to look, and because of the simpleness of the way or the easiness of it, they were, there were many who perished. So basically saying because it was so easy, people wouldn't do it because it just seemed too simple. So that's their reasoning. Uh, you know, the New Testament actually has commentary on this exact verse, and it doesn't say what the Book of Mormon says about it. So it's a contradiction there already. We'll look at it next week. They're going to say it's another testament. They say it was prophesied. So 2 Corinthians, every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. The Book of Mormon is the second witness to verify that the Bible is true. Okay, never mind that we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as four witnesses already. We don't need the Book of Mormon as another testament. Uh, I, yeah, quickly, Ezekiel 37, basically God told Ezekiel to have two sticks, one for Joseph, one for Judah. They say that the stick of Judah is the Bible and the stick of Joseph is the Book of Mormon, and God's putting them together in the future. It does not mean that, but that's what they say. Uh, doctrine of covenants and the pearl of great price are their other two forms of scripture. Basically, the doctrine of covenants is just a list of Mormon doctrinal beliefs, uh, as well as some revelations that he supposedly got from God, mainly from Joseph Smith, but other prophets have added to this book, All right, other presidents after him. Uh, they consider it to be authoritative in the scripture, the Pearl of Great Price is a collection of various other writings from Joseph Smith 
It contains a reinterpretation of the creation story from Genesis. He actually wrote prophecies about himself into the book of Genesis as well. So he's saying this is what the book of Genesis really says. And of course it prophesies that a man named Joseph Smith is going to come one point one day and restore the church. Uh, and it, it also it contains a re-inspiration of parts of the Gospel of Matthew, a few other things. It famously includes something called the Book of Abraham. So the Book of Abraham. Uh, so this is kind of a funny story. So because he was saying that this language he translated from was Reformed Egyptian, right? He was telling them that. Well, a traveling mummy exhibition came through the Americas in 1835, and his followers purchased a scroll from them because they're like, because they, if you look in that picture of it, you can see it looks like a man on a table. They just assumed this must be Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac, right? That's what it has to be. So they bought it, and they're like, Joseph, can you translate this for us? So he's in a bit of a bind because he doesn't actually know any Egyptian. But at that point in time in history, no one knew how to translate Egyptian. But literally that, that exact same year, uh, the Rosetta Stone had been cracked. It just has happened over in Europe. And then uh, they knew how to translate Egyptian. It just had not filtered, the news had not filtered the to the Americas yet. Uh, so he made up a whole book called the Book of Abraham, about Abraham's early life, his vision of the cosmos, his creation. So some of this bad theology about spirit stuff comes from this book. Uh, but now we can translate it, and we know what it says, right? It's actually just um, a funerary text for the Book of the Dead. So it's how to, how to make a mummy. Basically what it is. In actual Egyptian, uh, that's that. So that's just proven, that, that, that right there proves Joseph Smith as being a, a false prophet, false teacher. Mormon temples, final slide. So temples are for Mormons only. No non-Mormons are allowed. If you were to break into the temple and defile it, they'd have to redo the whole thing. They'd have to rip up all the carpets and the benches and completely restore everything. Uh, renovated. So the only time you're ever allowed into a Mormon temple is when it's brand new and they haven't dedicated it yet, or if they're going to renovate it anyways. Right? So then they'll let you in to tour it uh, because they're going to be ripping it all up. So that's, that's the temple. Visitors can attend regular services, but they cannot enter the temple. Uh, the temple is where certain ordinances or rites are performed. They make covenants there. Uh, they do baptism for the living and the dead there, so you have to be baptized as a Mormon in order to be, go to the celestial kingdom. They do washing and anointing there. Uh, it, they do some charismatic stuff, too, with this, where they have prophecies and all that. That all goes on in the temple. They do oil body rubs and stuff. It's, they get their special underwear. It's just things that go on there. Uh, they do eternal marriage ceilings in the temple, and they do endowments. So the endowment process is basically where it's, it's something that you need to do in order to become a god. It's a reenactment of the creation story uh, of Adam and Eve. Uh, and you can do it on other people's behalf, but it, it takes like an hour or two to do, uh, to go through this whole process. So, uh, And there are, all of these are required for exaltation in order to become a god. So question, go ahead. Correct. So if you get married outside of the temple, your marriage ends when you die. Right. If you get married in the temple... Correct. So Joseph Smith and Brigham Young both did this. So, you know, if it's like 
<laughs> so yeah, so if Kayla was like, hey, I'm married to Richard now, but I want to be married to Trent in eternity, we could do an, we could do an eternal marriage that'll go on past into eternity, and then you get kicked out of the marriage at that point in time. So when you guys die, yeah. And so they they were doing this early on. Well, because they're not, they, they condemn polygamy now. Uh, and yeah, they won't let you now okay. do that. But they did. They did for a while. So now it's, you just would get married in the temple if you're both Mormons. Okay. So, but if you're a Mormon and she's not, huh? They just do it together if you're both Mormons. So, and then if you became Mormon after you were married, you have to go get married again if you want to. To uh, be married in eternity, so yeah, so it's strange stuff. So yeah, wicked. Any other questions? I went a little long again. Keep doing that. Okay. Yeah. Hey, really you know, so you have people who are very well educated and really. University, yeah. You look at their background and all that it came from. How can a person really It's because they probably don't know it. I lived in Rochester, New York. We went to Palmyra. A lot of Mormons there, yeah. But how did he get these things? The Egyptian, he looked to the asses to be able to translate it. So much of it. And this whole thing about that Jesus sent me to Central and South America, there's absolutely no archaeological evidence. Yeah, we're going to talk about it next week. Yep. As opposed to the Bible, where there's all sorts of archaeological evidence. And just really almost blows my mind how intelligent, you know, people are. It's because of what I said at the beginning. It's not a fact-based religion. It's entirely feelings-based. So it's they feel like it's true, even though they intellectually understand that it's it doesn't make any sense at all. So it's it's they're gonna they're relying entirely and totally on their feelings in regards to it. So like they don't care about the archaeology, they don't care that the Book of Mormon can't be substantiated. We don't even have the, the golden plates anymore because God took them up into heaven, right? So they were buried on the earth for fourteen hundred years. But then they couldn't be around anymore after Joseph Smith translated them, you know. So it's just, it's, it's very obviously fraught with uh, just falsehoods. So, yeah. So, good point. All right. Oh, go ahead. So you said that, so they're really thinking about you can't go into a temple if you're not a woman and you share certain things like that. So what's their... No, um, you have to go through a process like meeting with your priest or bishop, uh, be attending services, make commitments, be involved in the community, and then your name gets put on a list. So when you go in, they check a database to let whether you can go in or not. So your name needs to be on a list. Yeah. And so the temple, I guess it's the tabernacle. 
Correct. So they have regular meeting places that will be attached to a temple where they have like services where it would look like our service. You sing a song, somebody will preach from the Bible or the Book of Mormon or the Doctrine and Covenants, uh, and then that's it. Uh, but you can't go into the temple. That's for the ordinances. Which is like one portion of that building. It's, a, it's like a sanctuary part of that building, yeah. Do you have something? Yeah. Have you ever gotten into the uh, there's a lot of strange stuff in there, yeah. So, or what, what do you want to say about it? <laughs> Just how it's something to be alive. It's a miracle that God did, so. I mean, but there, yeah. Like, there, it's, it, if you read it, too, it's, it does, they're going to say it sounds just like the Bible. They're going to say that over and over and over again. If you read it, it, is, it does not read like the Bible. It reads like a forgery of the Bible. Like, it's really obvious. And, and you can even tell that it's written by an American, not by anybody else, because it has words like liberty and freedom and independence in it. Like, like you're not going to see those words written in a religious text anywhere else. So... And then, yeah, strange, whoop, strange miracles that don't really have any, any purpose. They don't, like the miracles in the Bible are all pointing to God's power. They're pointing to, to Christ. The miracles here are just random. Like they don't, they don't have the same purpose and function, you know, because there's no divine mind behind it. It's just, like it's, it was written by a teenager. This is what it was. It was made up through an imaginative teenager. That's what this is. And it's not even the whole book. He actually wrote like 130 more pages that were lost. We'll talk about it next week that he couldn't duplicate because somebody stole it. Uh, And he was afraid of duplicating it because it wouldn't be exactly the same. And if he translated it directly from God using these stones, it would have to be exactly the same if he he remade it, right? Uh, And he decided, "Ah, I'm just going to not have that in the book anymore. So they don't even have the full Book of Mormon. Any other questions? Any good questions? All right. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time, and we pray uh, that you would open up the hearts of Mormons to receive your Son truly. We pray that they would set aside uh, the nonsense that you are not an eternal, invisible being who created everything, and that they would accept you for who you really are, and that they would truly uh, become children of God and not fake spirit children that they claim that are from you. So help us to be uh, the instrument that would reveal that to them, uh, bring those into our lives that we can uh, reach out to and witness to. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.